Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, y'all. Amen. So I don't know about you, but how often do you find yourself from the outside looking into a situation and saying, how did that get so bad? How did that? You look at a couple. One moment, they're a picture of happiness and joy. And then the next, you look from the outside again, looking in, and you see that they're either divorced, separated, or broken up. And you think to yourself, if we're all honest, how did that get so bad? Or worse off, if we're all confessing sin here, we've been in situations where we look in the mirror and we're in a bad place and we say, what happened? How did this get so bad? The answer to that question of how stuff gets, quote, so bad is actually what we're going to be addressing in Genesis this morning. Today we are covering the first murder, as we talked about earlier, Cain's murders his brother, and it's not just by accident, meaning there's things that happen in his heart prior to the action of murder. He allows sin to go unchecked, and it grows and grows and grows into something that he never wanted. And he gets there because of unchecked sin. In other words, church, how stuff gets so bad is because of unchecked sin. Unchecked sin. We'll look at the temptations that Cain ended up facing in this text and learn from his mistakes. And it would be wise of us today to tune into this text and be fully on board with how the Holy Spirit speaks to us because it will be a way to avoid a future in which you look in the mirror and say, how did I get here? How did it get so bad? Let's get into the text. I'm excited. I know I say that all the time, but for real, I'm excited. (laughs) The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. As we said last week, Cain and his brother Abel, they are coming to offer things to the Lord. Why they're doing that is because the Lord wanted to teach the brothers how to worship in a way that's acceptable to God. And what we ended up learning from last week, if you remember, is that God accepts faith, a simple trust in God and what he has said. Cain, we end up seeing, does not trust God with his form of worship in the way that he brought some of his crop after calculating, this is where I lean, calculating what he would have and what he could give to God. It was a lack of trust. And God rejects his offering, his form of worship. Let's get into the text to look at how Cain reacts to the rejection. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he didn't accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Cain is angry. And Moses, who penned these words, goes even further to describe he's very angry. So much so that you can see it, right? He is dejected by getting rejected. And it's subtle, but I want us to see that. Cain has been tempted and may have already fallen into sin. I want us to see through this text that, that temptation has an order of things when we're being tempted to sin against God. 
And we're going to see it in the text of how there's a sequential order. So bear with me. It's reasonable to say in this setting, although it's only a few words, we can end up saying that Cain's rejected. We all see that. We see then that he's tempted to play the comparison game. Oh, my brother got blessed. I got rejected. That then gives birth to envy is what I'm reading in, all right? But I think it's reasonable, which then leads to anger. And we can all relate to Cain. We've all been tempted to miss the mark of God's morally perfect law. I mean, I'll confess, it was literally three days ago. I was in my office in the house, worshiping God, prayer, all the above, studying the text. I'm like, oh God, thank you so much for calling me to intentionally put hours towards studying your word. I fall more and more in love with you. And then I end up walking out. I hear all the kids running. I see a kid break something and instantly I'm tempted with rage. Instantly, I want to grab a kid and throw him through the drywall. I'll admit that, that was a temptation. It was crouching at my door right there. Even as I was coming out of a spirit-filled place, a temptation, we all can empathize, all can empathize with Cain's temptation to sin. So let's keep moving forward. We're going to see how Cain handles temptation. But first, there's something that I want us to see about God and his character in situations, inevitably, where we're tempted. Verse 6, God speaking here. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. In our temptations, God remains ever-present, never leaves, constantly talking to us, always talking to us in our thought life. He doesn't leave Cain while, te- while Cain is being tempted. He could have left him. Honestly, I'm not God, but I would speculate for me if I was God, which I, again, I want to clarify Danny, my bride knows, I am not. I would look at my creation and say, after all I've done for you, Cain, I I breathe life into your parents who they gave birth by my design in order to you. I've been kind to you. I've provided everything for you, crops, everything. You can trust me with it. And you are still tempted to entertain sin away from me. But God is not like that. He loves Cain too much, just as he loves each and every one of us. He continues to stay in the temptation, continually cautioning Cain. Recently, I was watching one of the 90s, early 2000s classic movies. It was one of those situations where it was the night where I wanted to turn off my brain and just be entertained. And so I went on Netflix and I started watching clean stuff, clean stuff, and I forgot Like, I hadn't watched movies in a long time. I forgot how easy it is to get tempted. I mean, there's a lot of sensual scenes. There's a lot of profanity, and it triggers me back to old Roy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to fight someone right now. But there's just a lot of temptations, a lot of memories that come up during that time. And so, as I'm watching this, that temptation comes. And then another thought comes. And then I I realize that as I'm watching this movie, which I'm supposed to be fully involved in. I'm actually entertaining temptations in my thought life. But then God's spirit put a thought in my life. It's the way that he speaks to me. And by the way, all of you, it's whether we recognize it or not. And he says, do you want my favor to remain on you? I was tempted to sin and 
It may, he just said, do you want my favor to remain on you? And I'm not talking about the, the, the universal f- uh, favor of God on anyone who is born again. I'm talking about the unique, specific things that he blesses each person with in their varying season. And then I imagine all the things that I've been blessed with right now, by God's grace, my marriage is in a decent place. Parenting, decent place. Leadership within the church, decent place. And then I imagined me sinning. If I was to give in to this temptation, I then saw God gave me the gift, just like that movie, I forget what it's called, like an alternative reality if I was to give in to the sin. What sin would I give in to next? How would that affect my desires to parent in godliness? How would that affect my desire to sacrificially love my bride in godliness? How would that affect my interpersonal relationships with people? How I handle hardship if I was to give in at that moment? So, recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice, it was a battle I asked him for help though. I said, Holy Spirit, you know exactly what's happening. You know how I actually want to give in to this, but I'm asking for help right now. And he brought me to a place before giving in to the temptation to say, Satan, get behind me. I'm choosing to honor God. I'm choosing to honor God. I renounce this temptation, my affiliation to be attracted to it, and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and by God's grace, he empowered me to just be obedient to all the cautions he was giving me, just as he did with Cain. God will always provide an escape route. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Not trip, fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, praise God. And God is faithful, hallelujah. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Thank you, God. When we are tempted, he will show us a way out. And why? So that we can endure. In every single temptation to sin, God provides an escape route. All them escape rooms you end up seeing down there, that's all just a physical analogy for what happens in the spiritual realm. There are times when we're tempted that we're looking all around saying, how can I get out of this? And there's always a place to exit. And it astonishes me when you actually think about it because temptation to sin does not come from God. It either comes from us or it comes from the devil. And yet still in his kindness, he comes to us with a way out because guess what? He's so for our holiness. He is so for us, because when we remain holy and we fight sin for our personal experience and gratification in God, he's so for it. That's how unusual God is. And if we fall into sin, by the way, because of this truth, we cannot say, oh, I just couldn't help myself. We actually don't have that excuse as the church He always provides a way out. The issue is, as I said earlier, are we listening? In the temptation, in the heat of the moment, are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Each time, a unique escape route is tailor-made for us for a situation. Amazing. Out of all the 8 billion people in the world, each and every person, the church, 
He's going to tailor make an escape route for each one of us in the temptation. You know what it screams to me, church? No one wants our thriving more than God does. No one wants his credit more than God does. No one wants thriving, flourishing than God does. No one has a better vested interest in our life than God does. No one has a better care for our souls. No one has a greater vision for our life than God does. That's how different God is. And if we give in to temptation, it says honestly more about us than it does about God. Let's look at the text. Look back with me. Why do you look so dejected, God says? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse, 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 if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. The reason why we fall into temptation is because we refuse. It's not because we lack a way out. It's because we refuse to follow him. Let's keep going. Let's look into the next text to see what else God is cautioning Cain to about falling into temptation. But if you refuse to do what is right, reading it over again, then watch out. God is gonna take you out. He's wrathful. He's looking to focus on you and make you pay. Whoa, 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 whoa. that doesn't say that. That doesn't say anything close to it. This text doesn't say watch out and then the next sentence does not say for God's gonna punish you. God's looking to pour out his wrath. It doesn't say that at all. And I think what we can learn from that church is that God is slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, hallelujah, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. God doesn't fly off the handle when we fall into temptation. Not even close. Yes, he disciplines those, corrects us, so that we will walk in truth that much more and abide in Christ and experience the pleasures and joys of knowing him. But let's not mistake that as God's wrath. Where else, God bless you, can you find that kind of mercy? Eight billion people around the world, Christian and non-Christian, falling into temptations, sin which offends God. That's a lot of sin that God deals with in a day. Even for God, it's the reality of things. And do you know what that makes me want to do, church? It makes me not want to be one of those contributors. It makes me want to care for God's heart, the Father's heart towards us, and not fall into sin so easily. That's how different God is. That's how different. Let's move on. God is not who we're looking to watch out for when temptation comes. It's something else. You'll see it up here on the screen. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. It is sin that we have to watch out for. It is sin once we are tempted to watch out for. As we fall into sin, we will be tempted with more sin. If you've clicked online with, on an ad, what comes up the, on your laptop the rest of the year? More ads for the same company. <laughs> and it's a similar thing with sin. And by the way, look at how sin is personified. It's crouching at the door. I envision a burglar. It is eager to control you like a predator. 
looking to take advantage of us in our moments of weakness. If it was a person, I would imagine it like this. The text says that sin's crouching at the door. So as I'm laying down, I'm looking, and I would see sin. We should see sin pacing back and forth, right outside of our bedroom door. You look to the bottom of the door, and you end up seeing his shadow pacing back and forth all night. And you're thinking to yourself, does sin have anything else to do? The answer is no. He's eager to control us so that if you would give in to the temptation and you would open that door, bam! He would jump on you ready to control you as a burglar or predator. Church, if we don't see sin as a burglar or predator, we will fall into sin easily. Easily. Sin is not amoral, meaning it's indifferent to right and wrong. Sin wants to grab you, as James says, and drag you away from God. Even if you think you're kicking and screaming to make us slaves to sin again. Make us slaves to sin again to not be slaves to righteousness anymore. Which is exactly what Christ has bought for us. Sin wants to control us as a burglar and as a predator. It wants us to exaggerate our own importance. It wants us to exaggerate all the circumstances around us and not operate by faith. It wants us to neglect the needs around us. So how should we fight? How should we fight against being controlled by sin? Read with me. Next verse, we'll see the answer. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and master it. In other words, we must kill it. We must kill sin at the phase of temptation. Don't play around with sin. Don't play around with temptation. Don't justify like we aren't sinning in our thought life. Kill it. The reason why Abel is dead is because his brother did not kill sin, so he killed Abel. Do you understand the severity of how sin gives birth to sin? The born-again life is one of adventure. You hear it all the time from this pulpit. The pleasures of God. There's no more fulfilling life, no more happiness and joy you can experience in the born-again life, but it's also one of brutality. It is kill or be killed. It is a grown folk sport. It is blood and guts. When sin arises, we must master it. We must kill it or it will kill us. It will take away everything in godliness that we want and desire. We wouldn't play around with a burglar. We wouldn't play around with a predator, especially around our households. We would address it on sight. And that's exactly what God wants us to do, to take temptation seriously. As Denzel Washington once said, this life is chess. It ain't checkers. <laughs> it is serious. And we better take these fights spiritually serious. Apostle Paul knew the significance of mastering sin. Woo! He writes to the Colossian church, for you died. If you're born again, for you died to this life. I don't know if you ever knew this. You've already said yes to not prioritizing your needs. You died to this life. Your life is hidden. It's hidden in Christ with God. So, what should we do, church? Verse 5, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking 
as a burglar and predator within you. That sin have nothing, nothing. No, all of your familiar sins that we've been accustomed to, he's saying have nothing to do with those. Stop being familiar with your old sins. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person's an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, because of these burglars, these predators, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life, whoo, this is exactly who we used to be, church. We used to take part in this when we were in the world. But now is the time. Mm. Speak to me, Lord. Your servant is listening. Now, today, church, is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You've stripped off the old sinful nature that was your old person and all of its wicked deeds. I want to equip the church real briefly with two ways to kill sin that are biblical. Number one, take every thought captive. Paul writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 10, we, the church, demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take, we take, we're takers in this sense. We're not always passive as Christians. I don't want to go on a rant here. We are takers. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. You think sin is going to willingly just say, okay, okay, you recognize me, I'm going to back away. No, 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 no. This is proactive, violent language. Take captive sin and kill it. It practically looks like this. One way is to pray the thing away. Simply Acknowledge the temptation and pray it away. We have four R's that we've talked about behind doors with staff. The first one is request, renounce, rebuke, and then replace. The four R's of when you're handling temptation, run to those. The first one is request. When you are getting temptation, you want to request the person who has all the strength in the world, and that is Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, in whom we have all authority to relinquish sin. Amen? Amen. That's what we want to ask for in power. Number two, we renounce our attraction to that sin. We're renouncing and saying, God, I, I, I acknowledge that I'm tempted in this way. My old person, if you're born again, I'm tempted in this way, but I'm renouncing even my attraction to it right now. I declare that in Jesus' name. Number three, rebuke. You rebuke Satan and his influence. Ooh, I won't get too far ahead of myself. Satan is a powerful being. We've learned that before. And we want to rebuke his influence, knowing that regardless of if this sin temptation came from us, within us, in our old self, or him, be discerning and just rebuke it. We say, I rebuke the, den the enemy's influence on me in the temptation. And then last one is replace. Replace the tempting lies with truth. It is saying, God, I take this lie captive, and you name that lie. And then you say, in the name of Jesus, I throw it into the sea of forgiveness and back to hell where it came from, in Jesus' name. Do you smell like authority? Church, that's how we should pray. 
to kick out burglars. That's the type of authority Christ has given each and every one of us. And then we replace it with truth. We say, God, I have everything that I need in godliness in you. I don't need anything else. And here's the promise. It's an amazing promise that James shares. The devil will flee. The devil is promised. God promises he will make him flee. James 4. So humble yourselves before God, which is that process of the four hours. Resist the devil and he will flee. He'll scatter. Hallelujah. That is a strong being that is scattering away from us as we fight and kill temptation. And speaking of fleeing, that's actually the second way, biblically, that I'll share today at least, for us to kill sin. Flee, run. Second Timothy, Paul writing, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run. Do you know what that word means in the Greek? It means run. <laughs> Get up out of there. Get out of Dodge. Escape. Run like your life depended on it. When you're watching as I did something and you recognize that it's pulling your old sin nature out and there's a sensual scene, there are three options, two that honor God. To kill sin, off, you're done. Movie's done. Or fast forward. I mean like real practical. When you are in situations in the heat of the moment, that's what it looks like to run. When you're stressed, if you go to comfort eating and gluttony, instead of going to confession prayer and clinging to God for your satisfaction as the bread of life, when you're stressed, walk away from that donut. Walk away from the dessert. It will only bring, when you stress eat, the condemnation, shame, and guilt from the enemy after saying, oh, there you did it again. If that food got you again. We must embrace this as our God-given ability and form of holiness. Kill, kill, kill. It is the way God matures his church to make us more like him, to make us holy and unto surrender. So we'll have to kill as often as temptation comes about. Maybe multiple times a day. It may be once. I don't know what it looks like in each one of your lives. And if we don't continually kill temptation, it will snowball. Look with me. Verse 8. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. These are brothers. There's, there's, these are brothers. Cain's just been rejected. Closeness with his brother. And he's willing to do this. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Comparison leads to envy. Envy ends up leading to anger. And anger then leads to murder. All because sin went unchecked. Sin is like a fire in a house, in a kitchen, in one room, that ends up not getting checked and burns down your whole house. Church, let's not be a church that falls into sin so easily, that allows sin to go unchecked, a flame, a spark that is in one room, doesn't go unchecked, and burns down the whole house. What is that spark in your life? What is that temptation right now that the Holy Spirit has even brought up to you? Are we willing to kill that sin? And if not, the caution is from this text, it will snowball, gain traction, and give birth to more temptation and more sin. Unchecked pride 
ends up getting us to a place of where we continually need to be right. Unchecked obsessions end up leading to addiction. Unchecked lust ends up leading to sexual morality. Fill in the blank. Sin begets sin. Just as faith on the opposite end begets faith and inspires faith in other people. And that's not where we want to be as a church. We do not want to continually be in the hamster wheel of, how are you doing when people ask us? And we either confess and say, not doing well. And we're always that person who's saying, I'm not doing well. Or we lie to them, and yet still the reality is, I'm not doing well. When the answer is, kill the thing. Kill sin. Ravi Zacharias, a theologian who passed away recently, he once said this, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. There are many motivations to kill sin. For the sake of you and avoiding unnecessary pain. For the sake of you and your family. To bless others around you. To bless your neighbor. To bless your marriage. To bless your bride, your spouse, your husband, your family. There are so many reasons and motivations to kill sin. But the ultimate one is this. Is that... We want to kill sin as a church because sin, when we give in to temptation, separates us from the closeness we can have with God. And if we love God first, it will affect every other horizontal relationship out there. We don't want to walk in the wilderness. And that is exactly the caution that will happen when we do not kill sin. King David says this, do not cast me away from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Church, kill sin before it kills your intimacy with God and others. For your sake, for your household's sake, for the kingdom's sake, kill sin. We have God's spirit, and this is the good news. God's Holy Spirit is within us. The same spirit of Christ who empowered Jesus during his earthly ministry, though he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin, that same person in the Trinity resides in you, born-again Christian. The empowerment he had for obedience in temptation is the same exact power given to us in different measures. That is amazing news. I'm not calling you to do anything you aren't empowered to do, born-again Christian. I'm telling you to access and partnership, be aware and say, Holy Spirit, I'm in this for the long haul. It's time to kill sin. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your kingdom, your power, your Holy Spirit. Make us aware of sin and that we would kill it and you would make it easier and easier, God, to build up the master skill of recognizing sin, recognizing temptation, and killing it. So much so that we would be a church that rarely enters in to the mirrors of our house, looking at them saying, how did it get so bad? Would we stay away from that for your glory and our pleasure? Jesus, thank you for buying every spiritual truth in the heavenly realms for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.